chapter 3, Paul, whenever he writes these epistles, letters to these churches, many times, or most of the time, like Romans, he goes from chapters 1 through 11, and they're doctrinal, and then 12 through 16 is very practical. Ephesians splits very nicely down the middle. First three chapters deal with the doctrine of the church. And we get so many of our basic doctrines of the church from, the, from Ephesians 1 through 3. But one of the great passages in the Bible about practical Christian living is Ephesians 4 through 6. Uh, you'll see that uh, here in Colossians also. Chapters 1 and 2 dealt with uh, the dangers of false doctrine and, of course, that Jesus Christ is preeminent. And now in chapters 3 and 4, he's going to deal with the practical side of that. And so we see several times as he writes to the people, uh, to the, the letters, he is both doctrinal and practical. So in chapter 3, if then, okay, if then uh, you were raised in Christ, and he has spent two chapters now on talking about being raised in Christ, the dangers of those who try to pull you away from the pure knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and getting you into all these different isms and, uh, um, and legalisms and all the rest. And he says, now that uh, I want you to be rooted and grounded in Christ, if then, or since then, you are raised in Christ. In other words, you have been raised from the dead uh, and the newness of life. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these, all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. What a great passage. And now I want to give you some key words in this, these passages. First of all, uh, as, as First John tells, or John tells us in First John, his epistle, he says that Christ is three things. He's life, he is light, and he is love. And so those are the, that's those are three key words in the epistle of John. And of course, he tells, starts off the gospel of John, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And uh, in, uh, the, in 1 John, he tells us that, uh, uh, that he is the light of the world and, uh, and he is life. And then in chapter 4, he says that God is love. And so we see those are the three things. And really, uh, Paul uh, says it in a different, little bit different way. Um, but in first, verses 1 through 7, we see that he says Christ is our life. I mean, if, if any man be in Christ, he is, an, uh, old things, he is a new creation. You have a new birth. You have a new life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. But here he says, if or since then, that's the word if can be, um, you know, um, if you're married, this is what you should do. Well, since you're married, this is what you should do. That's basically the way that you could translate if. Uh, even in our language. He says, if then you are raised with Christ, seek. So first of all, notice the word seek. Seek those things which are above. Um, there again, <clears throat> we want to develop our appetites. We want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And that's one of the, one of, the, of course, the uh, Beatitudes. And so we want to develop a desire for the things above. This old world's my home, my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so I want to have a heavenly mind. Lord, this old world's not the end. Um, I've got a mansion just over the sun. So we sing all those different songs. But the idea is a focus on what God has laid up for us uh, in glory. And we see that all throughout the epistles again, uh, how that we have, we have been established in the heavenlies as Paul says, even in the book of Ephesians. So we see that we are to seek those things which are above. I have a little cartoon that uh, I think that guy who wrote BC, those, that old, I, don't, I don't get the newspapers anymore, so I don't get uh, comics or anything. But um, there, whoever wrote the, that, uh, those um, strips on uh, uh, called BC, and he would talk about it, it looked like Stone Age stuff. But uh, one of them had, uh, uh, and he would have a little rock out there. And on the rock, he would uh, put um, a word. And then underneath it, he would define it. And uh, he would put on one frame, eternity. And then on the next frame, life 101. You know, in other words, um, this life is just the beginning of eternity. And uh, if you're a college freshman, you know what 101 means. That's uh, where you begin. And so this is the beginning of eternity for us. And he says, Christ is our life. We've been raised with him. We have eternal life. It's not that we will have it, it's that we do have it. We'll never die. We'll be with the Lord, absent from the body, present for the Lord. So we seek those things. We want to learn the full extent of our inheritance, of what God has. And so we seek. But then notice in verse 2, set your mind on things above and not on things on earth. Now, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're not earth, any earthly good, 
But at the same time, we realize that uh, everything on earth uh, has a consequence for our eternity. And so, Lord, uh, you know, whatever happens in life, this too shall pass. And so, and I've lived long enough now to see, well, I think right now, of someone who has been really a public uh, disgrace. I mean, they have just used their power to really harm a lot of people. But now it's coming back on them. And now they are being very embarrassed about what they, you know, uh, uh, things that are coming, and they're being shown to be so hypocritical. That happens with religious people, that happens with, you know, government people, that happens with any public person. The higher you, or the more spotlight shines on you, the more whenever some flaw shows, it shows up. But uh, I've lived long enough to know that when people do me wrong, or they, then I'll just, if I give it to the Lord, I'll see that God in his timing will work it out and that he will show me, well, I have to be careful with that, but I think you understand what I'm saying, the experience, that God has ways of taking care of those who even wrong you. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen uh, in this life, I mean. Uh, I, you know, I can't tell a girl who's been attacked or whatever by some man that, oh, God's going to take care of it and just very glibly take that off because that is emotional scar. But at the same time, can I trust God that he will take care of that situation. In spite of the fact that, yes, sometimes legal action has to be taken. I'm not saying that. So I don't want to open a can of worms there, but I, and I gave an example that has all kinds of, uh, yet when you deal with hypotheticals, there's, there's too many angles to it. So I'm not trying to get into that too deeply. But at the same time, can I trust God that he can take care of the severe wrongs in my life? I like Corey Tinboom, who, uh, of course, she was in the concentration camp, and she met, uh, after the war, uh, she met one of the persecutors of her and her sister. And she had a very difficult time to forgive him. But it's interesting how that uh, she was able to. And uh, she's been a tremendous, of course, she's passed on now, but she's been a tremendous um, testimony of how to forgive. And, uh, you know, so, so, but she really, she said, I just, it took me quite a while to actually forgive him. And yet, uh, and yet, of course, now he's very, he, of course, it, it sounds like that he was a very prosperous man now again, and after all that, and yet could she trust God to take care of the situation? And so, you know, can I, you know, can I set my things on things above, knowing that God will take care of these things? Now, in saying that, notice the next word. And, of course, it's not here. He says, put to death. So you have three S's here. I say slay. So he says, reckon you, over in Romans chapter 6, he talks about um, uh, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. In other words, if we have a new body, if we have a new life in Christ, then there are certain things that we just say, okay, I'm dead to these things. In my mind, I start saying, this is past in my life. Now, this is to put to death in your members, which are on earth, and these things, fornication, uncleanness. Now, how do you put them to death? You don't let them get started. Of course, we don't give place to the devil. We flee fornication. We flee these temptations. In other words, we, if you're an alcoholic, you take the, the best thing you can do is get the alcohol out of your house, Right? If you have problems, um, I had a couple, they became one of my great couples, but uh, 
they said, Pastor, uh, don't ask us in public uh, where we met. And I said, why? I said, because we met in the bar. <laughs> no, no, the same thing. And they had lived pretty rough lives before they got married. And, uh, and yet God blessed them. Now can God, but they had to reckon, they will never go to a bar again. They will never get back into that situation. They had to put it to death. They had to get rid of it. They had to do whatever they could in their lives to make sure that those old bodily appetites were put to death. Now, I have to, you know, it's the same way with any of our problems in life. I have to, um, you know, I am learning more and more about uh, nutrition, of course, with sugar diabetes. You got to put to death before it gets started. You can't eat just one. All these different things. And so it is, you put to death as much as possible. You say, well, Pastor, I'm a smoker and I go to work and they're just full of smoke all the time. Well, we have to ask God to, you know, make sure they're not around your desk or whatever. Um, and but so we all have these problems. I'm not saying that we don't. Pastor, I used to drink, but now you know, I'll go home and my daddy still drinks or whatever. Well, whoa. You know, I realize though. So Lord, if you tell me there's no temptation taking me such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow me to be tempted above what I am able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that I may be able to bear it. That's, uh, that's, um, First Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, verse 13. And so there again, God, will I, do, I want, do I really want to get out of the situation? So Lord, show me how to, so I'm always looking, I'm always seeking those things above and leaving those things behind. Um, and so he says, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, all these things were from Colossae. These were the religions as we saw the day. Uh, this is what they did at the temple. So the last thing you want to do is keep your membership in the temple. And so he said, evil desires, covetousness, and I like this, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Oh, we don't have idols in America. I like what uh, one missionary did one time. He was home on furlough. um, And uh, some guy had visited India and uh, he sent back to his family a little idol, Buddha or whatever. And he said to the family, um, this is what they worship in India. And the missionary saw it and he got a hold of it. And he said, and he sent a dollar bill back to the, uh, the guy that was in India. And he said, this is what they worship in America. You know, so it's one of those things where covetousness. And so we have to be careful with uh, what, we, what we desire from others or that uh, is not ours. He says, because these things, notice, because of these things, the wrath of God uh, is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So these are things that we want to put away from our lives. We want to reckon ourselves dead to them. We want to flee them. We want to, Lord, how do I get them out of my life and really seek? There we're seeking those things above. It's not saying that it's going to happen overnight. But you're one by one, you're going to start throwing these things off of your lives. He said, but now you yourselves are to put together, put off. Now, those are the outer things. But notice also the inner things. Um, the, um, excuse me. Excuse me. Okay, so first of all, you see life. Life in Christ is to seek, to set, and to slay those things, to turn away from those things. 
But now you're going to see in the idea of love. And that's going to be in verses 8 through, through 14. And in love, there's two words that you want to look at. You will see the word put off and you will see put on. And we call that the principle of replacement. The Lord doesn't tell us to put off things in our lives without putting things into our lives. And what I want to do in my life is to be so godly minded that I crowd out the, the bad things in life. And the closer I get to the Lord, the more that I develop my life around the Lord, the more I crowd those things out. You know, I focused on something different. And as a result, my appetites are going that direction. And those things that I used to really crave are passing by. And so he says, now, uh, and now you yourselves put off inwardly anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy. You know, those are all things that come from immorality. Do you, do you know a very immoral person who's not angry or disillusioned? And that's the reason we have so much anger in our politics, in our society today, because my, everybody's wanting to kill each other. They don't trust each other. They're running around on each other's wives or sisters or brothers or they're stealing from one another or they're whatever. They don't, you can't trust anybody. And that brings a lot of anger and insecurity. And he says, we got to learn how to put off those things. filthy language. Oh my. As a Christian, do people understand, or do they recognize what you don't say? We, uh, my wife was, my wife is the oldest uh, Girl, oldest in her family, so she'll scold her brother. I think it was her brother who said something the other day that was one of those Christian curse words. And my wife lit into him. And, so, you know, no, she didn't light into him. But, uh, but as well, don't, just don't say that, you know. Well, there again, I want to separate myself by my language. I walked into uh, the Gideons. There were a couple of the guys that uh, helped us this past summer. And uh, they wanted to have a breakfast with me. So I met them at 7 o'clock at the steam plant this past week. But I'd forgotten one of them. I didn't, I forgot what he looked like. And so when I walked in, there was a group of fellows that were sitting off to the left. And they saw me, I thought, and they waved at me and they said, come on over. And I thought, well, this is a bunch of Gideons over here. And so I went and sat down with them. And uh, they started talking, well, I'm so-and-so and I'm so-and-so. And I started, well, you know, and the, so and I said, well, it's good to meet you. And, um, and I was talking with them, and it wasn't long before, man, life, these guys are pretty coarse, la they have pretty coarse language to be talking like Gideons. And uh, what had happened, uh, you know, I started realizing I was at the wrong table. And so, <laughs> and so I asked the waitress, she says, no, there's a couple of guys over there I don't recognize. And then they saw me, and they waved at me, and I recognized them. And I said, guys, I'm at the wrong table. I'm the pastor of Calvary Baptist, and I sure would like for each one of you to visit with us. And well, each one's on. You know, they kind of looked at me like, you know, whatever. But I could tell by their language. And it wasn't bad language. It just was coarser language. That our language should be filled with grace, should it not? And so uh, that was so, it was kind of embarrassing and yet funny at the same time. But uh, as a pastor, you get yourself in all kinds of problems. <laughs> you know, everybody knows you. That's the bad thing about it. Everybody that knows your name, your, na your name is pastor. Hey, good. And they expect you to remember them. And they expect you to remember how many kids they got, who they married, and, you know, what kind of cars they drive and everything else. But, uh, 
you know, it's kind of interesting how that is. But, uh, but there again, uh, I want to be known if I'm a pastor or as a member of Calvary Baptist, I want to be known as, you know, my language is different. Not that I would do what my wife did with her brother. She would never do that to anybody else, and she wouldn't even do it to him. Was it our son? Oh, no wonder she jumped on him. But uh, it was our son. But she talks to her brothers and sons. She talked to both of them this week, both sets. But uh, there again, uh, you know, so she jumped on her. No wonder she jumped on him. But uh, there again, you know, but that's one reason I have trouble with people like Dave Ramsey. He calls himself a Christian, but man alive, his language is coarse. And so I want to be, you know, but then again, he wants to appeal to both Christian and non-Christian with that, you know, debt retirement or whatever he calls it. But uh, there again, uh, I wish he'd clean up his language a little bit or a whole lot. But uh, again, he says, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. That's why um, I like dealing with Christians. And uh, I'm always promoting, you know, if anybody, if anybody in our church has a business, I'm always promoting it. And of course, with Donna, uh, I'm always talking. I tell people the car that I got. I didn't I have not wondered one bit about any transaction we've had. But then again, I think of that a, a man named Ed Shirley in my home church. I bought a car from him. I'm so glad that I was able to buy things and not, I mean, whatever they tell me is so. Now, it doesn't mean the car won't tear up. doesn't mean that other, but I know that they've been as honest as they could with me. I like that, don't you? And so, again, should we not be known for that as Christians? And so, again, he says, do not lie to one another. Put off the old man with his deeds and put it on the new man, which is renewed. And there we keep growing. We have to keep on feeding, renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, created us. And so we want to become like Christ. That's what the idea of Christ-likeness is, is becoming like Christ. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, he's saying here then that anybody can be Christ-like. It's not a status of the rich. It's not a privilege of whatever race you want to say. Anybody could be righteous. And this whole idea of white privilege and all these different things. No, um, and that all go, boils back to um, America's roots where we, that great awakening, America was very influenced by Christians and Christian values. And so as we throw off Christ today, the more that they hate anything that has Christian values. And so again, we see that... Um, that, but anybody, a black man, a brown man, a whatever color you want to call an oriental man or whatever, uh, they have the same privilege as Christ, and there's no, no difference. In fact, I saw a man of a different culture and race in the talking about steam plant, and uh, started talking with him, and found out he wasn't from around here, but he was here on business. And I sat down, talked to him a little bit, gave him a track, invited him to church. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what background you are. We've had poor people here. Oh, by the way, you know, if Bill Gates walked in here, I heard that on the way here this morning. If uh, Bill Gates walked in here this morning, all of us would be millionaires. 
all of us, according to government, because the average of everybody here's income would be up over the millions. So all of us, on average, are millionaires, right? No, we're not. But that's the way people look at it. I mean, if you look at certain people, I, I always came from the bad side of the tracks. I mean, I mean, or I was close to it. In fact, my, my, I lived right on the tracks in Winter Garden, Florida. Um, and, um, you know, and I never considered myself privileged. And so all this garbage about privilege, uh, listen, we just treat each other. I like what Morgan Freeman, who's a black man, said, if, you know, we wouldn't have race problems if we'd just quit talking about it. But you know, there again is, I want to accept people as they are. And that's what the Christian attitude should be. You are what you are by the grace of God. I can't change my color or my stripes. You know, as a leopard can't change his spots. Can't help it, that's who I am. But we live in a country at one time that wanted as much as the ideal was missed. The ideal was that everybody's treated equal. And we still haven't reached that ideal today. But we should struggle to, to get, go that route because that's the Christian virtue. And so the more people talk about um, inequalities today, the more because they're rejecting the Lord. They want to set up those divisive lines. And God says, I, I want to pull, pull you together. And so again, and then again, you get into the cultures, and we talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, depends a lot on your culture, that's your background. Um, I'm much more concerned when my kids were growing up about the culture of the people that they dated than the, the race that they were, because uh, that can change a lot right there. So the values. And so again, notice put off, and he says, now that's the first word, but then put on. He says, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, verse 12, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another, and forgiving one another. Even uh, if anyone has complained against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you almost also must do. Must do? Uh-oh. So I've got to work on that because I'm a... I'm a competitor, and I hate to lose. And I hate somebody to think I'm a loser. I mean, like someone said, uh, if I saw two ants down on the, on the sidewalk fighting with one another, I'd get down and root for one of them. You know, I'm just a very competitive type person. And so, uh, and, and whenever somebody cheats on me, you know, and they win. Now, if I cheat, no, no, I'm sorry. Better not get to let you know. There again. I just hate that. That's the reason I'm almost, I'm tired of sports because I hate whenever the referees become the most valuable players, you know, whenever the, the play goes against somebody and they lose a whole Super Bowl or whatever because of, of one bad call or whatever. Uh, I hate those type things. I just, but I, I don't mind it as long as it goes my way, but I hate it when it goes against me. You know, that's the way it always is, right? But uh, how can I forgive people? How can I really you know, the complaints that I have against others. And so, again, how do I work those things out with my nature the way it is? And so, but I don't want to be a whining dog who puts his tail out in the aisle and just people step all over, but he cries and, yeah, I love you and I forgive you anyway. No, I don't want to be that way either. So how do I, what, what do we do to be a man or a woman of God, a child of God? And so he said, those are things that we've got to work on, put on. 
And sometimes that old sleeve is turned inside out and you got to help somebody else put that sleeve back in and get that coat on. And that's what he's talking about uh, here. But so he says, above all these things, put on love. And there it is. When you love other people, what's the one way, what is the only way that other people know that you're a Christian? How do they, how does other people, how do other people know? I guess there's one other, one other minor way, but how does anybody know that you're a true Christian? By how you treat them. Uh, pastor, this person, boy, they, they talk big at church, but whenever they go, they're the meanest, cruelest, uh, they steal money out of the, uh, the coffee kitty, all kinds of things. But boy, when they come to church, they know they're not fooling anybody. In the same way, uh, boy, being a pastor is even worse because you got to go home and live it in front of your kids. And boy, are they critical. <laughs> or a member, church member. Don't we all have that problem? How do I really love people and show that love? And so, again, it matters. My kids are going to tell a lot about my Christianity by how I love them and how that I love other people. And that's a hard one. Isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to love people. And so, uh, again, that, that takes work. But love, I like what someone said, is that love always takes the initiative. Love is not a feeling. Love does something. It's a labor of love, as Paul calls it. That means that I, I don't have to have the feeling to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and pick up a crying baby and bring it to a mother and say, here, get, no, whatever, no. Uh, uh, but I did it because I love them in spite of the fact that I didn't feel like it, right? You do things not because you feel like it, but because it's the right thing to do and you love people. Love takes the initiative. It works. Oh, I love my kids. And I, I, boy, I really deal with men on this. Well, you're running around on your wife and you come home whenever you want to and you tell me, no, you need their love more than you are loving them. And boy, I really come down hard on men. If you really love your kids, then you're going to do something for them. You're not going to be robbing them of their food because you won't work. You're not going to be going to the bar and spending all your money. You're not going to be gambling it away. If you really love your wife and love your kids, then that's not what you know. I, when I preach, though, I, I'm not that mean to them. But at the same, you understand why I reason with them, and I tell, I, I describe what love is, and and then I tell them, God never tells your wife to love you, but God does tell you to love your wife. <laughs> All through the Bible, God never tells a woman to love her husband. <laughs> now it does say, women, uh, ladies. Peter says, ladies. You older ladies, teach your younger ladies how to love their husbands. In fact, women have to learn, learn how to love us scoundrels. But there again, that's the closest it comes to telling, you know, to for, but man is the initiator. Woman is the responder. Now they can respond greatly with love and they have it in their hearts, but they need an ignition, street, uh, uh, ignition switch. And that's why I find many times women who are bitter toward their fathers or some authority in their family, have problems with the pastor. It's just amazing over and over again. Or problems with authority. And because they didn't find the love in their home, and then they have trouble loving their husbands. 
And so all that, there again. Um, but there again, put off old men, put on the new, which means I got to do something. I got to show love. I got to do things for my wife. I, you know, do I really love her? Well, yeah, I could tell her I love her all I want to. But if she's sitting home at, on a Saturday night wondering where I am, now, it's a couple of times she's had to wonder about it, but she calls me, but she, I know she knows where I am. But, uh, but she's not worrying about me being in the wrong place. She's worried more about me falling or something like that. But uh, there again, uh, you understand what I'm saying. Love takes the initiative. It does things. We can talk all about, uh, they say that love won't pay their rent and all this kind of stuff. I, I got you, babe. Well, uh, that was a woman who's now up in her 70s, and she's known about 15 or 20 guys. But I got you, babe. But, you know, big deal. That's the phony type of love. And so we see that uh, he says, um, put on love. Then very quickly, there's two other words, and we'll have to come back to kind of overlap our lesson for next week. But the, the, next, two, the next words are let. And that is in verses uh, 16 and 17. He says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. In other words, you've got to give access to the word of God in your life. You've got to take time for the word of God to, well, excuse me, verse 15. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. How are you going to do that? By submission to the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I surrendered control uh, I surrendered my soul to the Spirit's control. The idea of walking in the Spirit, he said, and we'll have to come back to this, but he says, uh, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What's, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Those are all the inward. Now, the, re the rest of those, those fruits, actually there's one fruit, is love, and everything else under it is subservient to it. Love will bring joy. Love will bring peace. But love will be cha changed in your life also as far as how you love other people. But he says, um, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, that you also may be filled in one body. And what? Be thankful. A thankful Christian um, opened there saying, I accept God's will for my life. Now, it doesn't mean that I... I'm going to thank God for things, but I will thank God in things. And we'll have to come back to that. But then, so, then we'll, okay, let me give you the, just something to study. The, the words here, verse, um, he says in verse 15, let the peace of God dwell in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of God dwell richly in all wisdom. That's the light. So we have light, the Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119. So let the word of God lighten me up. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Notice, if we love one another, we're singing around them, we're encouraging one another, and so much the more as we see that day approaching, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, and with the grace of God, and whatever I do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. So whatever I do, then I want to make sure that people understand, that see that I walk with God. Amen? So, okay, that, that, now there's some things. Look at those words. First of all, life, seek, set, slay. Then love, put off, 
put on, and then a light let. And you'll see the words twice there, let. And so those are, that's a, that's a good start because then you get into the nitty gritty with the family values and so forth that follow in the rest of the verse. Okay, so that's a good uh, thing to meditate on this week. Father, thank you again for your word. Bless us as we would seek your will and your way. In Jesus' name, amen.